This episode is brought to you by the Smoking With Podcast. You know what I love? What? I love sitting around a campfire talking to my friends. That's why I'm loving the Smoking With Podcast. It's like listening to my friends chatting around the campfire if my friends lived in a state with legal recreational marijuana. Damn you, Pennsylvania. Get your shit together. I want to see High Amish. <laughs> On the Smoking With podcast, hosts Garrett and Josh have enlightening, thought-provoking conversations about the latest developments in the cannabis industry. Right. It's two friends having a fun chat, but it's also two dudes who know what they're talking about because they've been working with marijuana for years. From cultivation to bud tending, they talk about all aspects of the cannabis industry. So download the Smoking With podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. old timey crimey i'm christy i'm scott and i'm amber and we are here this week with your dose of historical true crime that's right it's a dose like it's medicine but it's fun medicine like like Vicodin. remember how ah! what ritalin like, like ritalin's not fun it's... no vicodin yeah vicodin, vicodin. yeah I mean, I'm such an innocent that I was going to say, like, remember how Luden's cough drops used to taste good? Oh, my God. They wow. were the best. It was my it was my favorite medicine. Well, it was kind of tied for first with the pink bubblegum stuff. <laughs> yeah, they they were like candy. Oh. So yes, we are the Luden's cough drop of podcasts. I don't know how to take that. I don't know either, and I'm the one who said it. So before we get started this week, just a note, do not forget about our Patreon. Oh my gosh, it is just awesome over there. We have so, so many of our bonus episodes, both short and long, so many different options for you to choose from, so much material for you to binge. And you get any of those episodes, all of them, at the $5 level and above. So go on over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Link is also in the show notes. And check it out. I promise you won't regret it. We're having a great time over there. Um, Some... People who didn't have a great time were those who uh, spent some time with Alfred Packer, who Je we are talking about this week. Jesus Christ, I, I have never seen a more musical murder in my entire life. The, the first time I was ever exposed to this, and we'll have the video up on the social media. The first time I was exposed to the Alfred Packer murders was on the Dr. Demento show. And it was some guy singing about Cannibal Cafe, like Packers mm. Cannibal Cafe. And then a couple of years ago, several, several years ago, these two guys made an entire musical and filmed it called Cannibal the Musical. Those guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park. 
yeah, it's really uh, inspired a lot of people to be creative, I guess. So I guess Alfred Packer has has that legacy as well as, you know, um, being kind of gross in his food choices. So Alfred or Alfred, we'll get there, was born either January 21st, January 31st or November 21st, 1842 in Allegheny County, PA. He's a Pennsylvania boy, guys. How proud are we? Fuck. So proud. <laughs> I'm not that from proud. here. That's on y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. And he was one of three children. His parents were James and Esther Packer, but they didn't stick around Pennsylvania too long. Around the time Alfred Packer was 10 or so, they went to LaGrange County, Indiana. But Alfred Packer was not a big fan of his home life, so he checks out of there as soon as he can. He ends up doing some drifting and then ends up a shoemaker in Minneapolis. And I had kind of a thought about all this, that it's amazing how much more people moved around. I mean, I know you have to move around for opportunity, but still, I've lived in technically, I guess, three different towns in my life. I've, and they're all not I, far away. I, I used to reside in Minneapolis. And I will say, no one lives in Minneapolis. You survive in Minneapolis. Because yeah, you have cold there. You have three seasons. You have bitter cold, you have insect invasion, and murder. Those are your three seasons in Minneapolis. Yeah, and the thing was that back then travel was so arduous and difficult, and yet he ends up by early adulthood, he's eight hundred and seventy-five miles from his from his birthplace. Like that just astounds me. And and here I am, a uh, hundred and 50 miles from mine, if that. Uh, so then the Civil War came around and he joined up on the Union side. Now, it might have been some time around this point that people started calling him Alfred. And there is the idea that the following happened to result in this. He got a tattoo, was maybe not especially discerning in his choice of tattoo artist. And didn't really consider whether the person was super literate. And he ended up with a tattoo of his name misspelled as A-L-F-E-R-D on his arm. That's Although, beautiful. Isn't it? <laughs> Some people are actually credit it to a mistake in typesetting a newspaper article that came along later and switched the E and the R. So I saw his name in the various sources and everything that I looked at. I, I, I'd say it was about 50-50. I, yeah, because actually what, what I saw was the tattoo story, and then he actually would call himself Alfred as a joke. Yeah, but he really leaned into documents. it. Yeah, in legal documents, though, it was Alfred. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it seems like he, he just kind of went with it. He was like, okay. <laughs> I just had a thought. If, if you don't mind backing up just a little bit, I just had a, a, an odd thought about the moving around do you think it was easier for people to move around because the cost of living versus what you made per hour was so so much better than it is today like you're kind of stuck you you get in one spot and you're kind of stuck here but back then you made a little bit more money and you were freer well maybe maybe because of how inflation has gone on these past uh 
past couple of decades, especially that that's kept people more in place. I mean, it's not like people made a lot, even in, in today's money. I was uh, looking at railway workers wages a couple weeks ago, and it was really, you know, kind of sad how little they made and, and, you know, what they were going through to try to just make enough to survive. So, yeah, I don't know if it was that or if it was the fact that maybe you would be so desperate, you know, more likely to be desperate in a situation and that would send you elsewhere looking looking for more opportunities. I don't know how bad it is there, but it can't be worse than here. Time to hit the road. I actually thought like and and I don't know if I'm remembering this right because I never paid much attention in school, but I, I. Quasi remember somebody telling me that people would move because they ran out of work. So when there was no more work, they had to just move to where the work went. And and that's why people moved a lot. Hmm. That could very well be true. Yeah. Well, Alfred wasn't having the best time in the army. He he seemed to be trying to stay in, but he had this issue with uh, epilepsy and he would have seizures about every two, two days he got honorably discharged from one company, so he tried another company and ended up getting honorably discharged from there. And so he heads out west uh, around 1863-ish. So he gets out there and he does, which that kind of lends credence to the idea of people are just going where the opportunity is. The west was you know, still, it was a, a little while after the gold rush, but that was still where things were hopping, you know? And also, I probably it was 1863, so the war wasn't affecting different industries as much in the West, you know? Right. Yeah. So he goes out there and he does the usual, you know, the the Western stuff. There's some mining, there's some hunting, there's some trapping. He does seem to do a lot of job hunting, sorry, sorry, job hopping. And I guess there'd be some job hunting in the process and then actual literal hunting as well of animals. But it's there's this idea that he wasn't a very good worker and also his seizures were a problem as far as employers' viewpoints were concerned and God knows there weren't any worker protections. So from about 1863 to 1873, he just went from job to job to job just doing whatever he could find. He did gain kind of a shitty reputation. There was some occasional petty theft and he was kind of known as a big liar. Like pathologically so. So yeah, that's kind of going to get him in real trouble here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it certainly will. There, there will be some some fibbing, <laughs> just a little bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say not so much trouble as infamy. Yeah, yeah, infamy is definitely a word for it. One thing that he does is he volunteers to guide a group of gold miners and other trekkers who are looking to get to Colorado from Utah. So he goes ahead and volunteers to do this. It's either from, okay, so it it definitely starts in Provo, Utah, but there is dispute about their eventual destination. It's either Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a 412-mile trek, or the Los Pinos Indian Agency outside of uh, Sagosh. I hope I didn't pronounce that wrong. I should look these things up, but I don't realize it until the moment. They don't even know how to pronounce it there. <laughs> it's 467 miles. So and you're looking at, uh, according to Google on modern day roads, you're looking at about either 135 hours uh, if you're walking 
or 155 hours. So, but you know, obviously that's broken up and there's probably some horses in there too, you know, so a little faster movement and not so bad on the feet. He has 21 gold prospectors in his party. The thing is, though, he's not really good at this or in any way prepared. We don't even really know for sure if he had done it prior to this. He brought no weapons. He did not supply enough food, enough provisions, and they blundered right into a god-awful snowstorm. I, I love the way Wikipedia put it. Uh, the simple prospectors who knew little of or nothing of Col- Colorado's geography. Unfortunately, neither did Packer. Yeah. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Nobody knows and- where the fuck they're going. It's the blind leading the blind. And it would be hilarious if it wasn't tragic. Exactly. Yes, Exactly. They end up, due to the storm, uh, they end up stopping near the Delta Colorado slash Montrose area-ish. This is, uh, there's a camp there. Chief Ure uh, is is in charge of this camp of the, the Ute Indians. And I will have to, I do have to say, okay, just a quick little uh, note. All of this is very near my my stomping grounds when I went to grad school uh, a town called Gunnison, although we called it Funnison. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm out. Bye, guys. I'll keep going. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it is, or what they changed the name on Google, but for years and years, and the, the name on Google and the sign outside as well of my favorite dive bar in Gunnison was the Alamo Pizza Mountain, which is a bar. <laughs> That neither has anything to do with the Alamo, as far as I could tell, and nor does it have pizza. What the fuck? That is like super <laughs> false advertisement right there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, there were some interesting reviews on Google for a little while until they changed their name. People were upset about that lack of pizza. I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I walk into a place that has the words Alamo and pizza in the title. I better have a cowboy come up and go, Woohoo, the mozzarella is stringy and hot. Beehaw. I will say that that was the first place uh, in Gunnison that I ever got called Little Lady. So there's that. Man, <laughs> it's either that or everybody wearing like like coonskin ca- caps, like, uh, like Davy Crockett and like, big titted girls in bikinis. You go ahead and talk about this, Packer. I'm going to think <laughs> about my imaginary restaurant. <laughs> I just want pizza now. And tits, apparently. (laughs) So, but there was no Alamo. There was no Pizza Mountain, as in reality. And so Packers group, uh, after these these two months, they're having a a rough go of it. They they had run out of people food, so they had to eat the horse's food. And then they find uh, the Ute Indian camp and Chief Ure, Chief Ure was was known to be friendly with uh, with us pale skinned folks, and you know, which is almost um, always a mistake. Did you see the bit about before they met up with the chief when they were sitting by the fire? No, I missed that. Go ahead. So um, apparently, Packer had one of his epilepsy fits um, by the fire before this and he suffered one of these fits and he fell into the fire 
<gasps> and overturned a coffee pot. The coffee pot splattered and scalded his face. And they had to roll him out of the fire and put him out. Oh, my gosh. I, I bet there were some some gold prospectors who were having some serious regrets right about then. Like, this is this is our leader? <laughs> well, it's and, not and his fault actually, that he has epilepsy, you know, but at the same time, when you see your leader set himself on fire. <laughs> yeah. But back in these days, there was a huge stigma for something like this. So they actually said that pretty much the whole group that was with him, it was originally, what, 21 people? Most mm -hmm. of them didn't trust him at all because of that incident. It Ugh. was, I mean, it was even a little bit longer past that than that. It was it was a big Hollywood secret that Bud Abbott of the comedy duo, duo Abbott and Costello, he had epilepsy. It does seem like one of those things that there's a stigma on it for so long, but it would have been so deep back in the days of, of Packer that you can only imagine there being some serious interpersonal issues when you're spending so much time with these, this group of people, it's a medium sized group, you know, 22 people all together mm -hmm. and you're in rough situations. You're in solitude, not seeing other people. I can imagine there were some pretty deep schisms probably. And some, yeah, like Amber said, some severe distrust. It's, it's such a weird thing to distrust somebody over though. Like if you're not going to like Al Packer, don't like him because he's a fucking liar. Don't. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But they were relying on him to help them survive, and did see him very nearly not survive. Yeah, <laughs> on his own. Yeah, so maybe in this situation, there there should be some mistrust there because obviously, if your leader has a medical condition that makes it difficult for him to survive, sometimes. Maybe he's not the best leader. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad person just because of epilepsy, but like probably not the best leader if he's having these issues every other day and you have to rescue him. He may not be a good leader, but spoiler alert, he's the only one that walked out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. All right. <laughs> the, the group gets to Chief Ure, and Ure is like, okay, look, you can come on in. We will take you in and, and help you out, but you really should plan on this lasting for a while. It is winter in the mountains. I don't know what the hell you were thinking to begin with, but he probably said it a lot more nicely than that. But yeah, he pretty much was like, just wait out the winter with us, just hang out here, and... You know, when the, the, the thaw starts and everything's more passable, you'll be you'll be supplied and ready to go and rested and all that. But some of these guys are really itching to get to the gold. And they word around the campus that there was another group that actually did manage to get from the camp to their destination. And so they think, well, if this other group did it, surely we can do it too. And after about... I think six days in early February, 1874, six of them decide to take this chance. So we have Packer and then the prospectors that decided to, to go were James Humphreys, Frank Miller, George Noon, Israel Swan, and Shannon Bell. Okay. So I, I do have some descriptions of these, um, of these people that went with them. So George Noon was a teenager Oh. Israel Swan was older than 60. 
Uh, Frank Miller is our butcher from Germany. And then Shannon Wilson Bell, stout, red-faced, and red-haired. I'm assuming Irish. <laughs> Shock of red hair like the fires of hell. <laughs> well, they head out, and the weather is actually pretty mild the day they leave. But then it probably is not because it's winter in Colorado. And it's a long while before anyone is heard from. On April 17th, it's been over 60 days since this group left the Ute camp. And this party of six upon return is a party of one. <laughs> and guess who? <laughs> his name's in the episode title, so it should be a, an easy guess. It is, in fact, Alfred Packer. He pops up at the Los Pinos Indian Agency and uh, the authorities, they start to ask him what's up. They're like, okay, just you, just, you, just party of one. Okay, what, what happened? And he was like, well, it was so snowy, we couldn't see. Our feet were in just such utter pain. We, there was snow up to our knees. It was covering the trail. We were so hungry, we ate our shoes. They ate their moccasins. And he says, then the, the, the worst happened, uh, depending on what day he was telling the story, he would say either I got really sick or my feet got really frozen. Everybody else left me behind. They said, you know, when they got to safety, they'd send somebody to, to get me. But, you know, they were pretty much leaving me to die. I mean, it, was but the easy, thing is, it would have been easy to believe because it was known. It was known they went into the mountains this entire party. Two rifles, one pistol, a couple of knives, a hatchet, a few bullets, no, uh, no flint whatsoever, no heavy clothing, and just like about five or six matches. Yeah, it would be pretty easy to believe that this this group, most of them would not make it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be a seven day trip, and it was more than twenty. It it was sixty. It was sixty six. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So they packed it, for seven. And three oh, months later, <laughs> that's that's what you're saying. You're sp okay. All right, I get it. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not it's not a huge surprise to everybody, but they're kind of like, how did this happen? Especially since they were like, all right, why do you look so suspiciously well fed for a guy who just nearly starved in the mountains? And uh, one newspaper called it his bloated and unnatural appearance, and that raised some suspicions. There was also the fact that. He had Israel Swan's rifle and Frank Miller's knife. And if those people all left them behind, left him behind, why did they take, not take their weapons? Why would they leave their weapons with him? You know, I guess maybe you're feeling sorry for the guy, but that's all they had practically for weapons. So I wouldn't think he, they would leave he, it. He rolls into town and he was known to be pretty well broke. But he rolls into town and he buys a new horse and a new saddle and he goes on a drinking binge and starts gambling at the saloon with all this money that he didn't have before. Yeah, there was there was much carousing around town. So questions are already starting to pop up. And then you have uh, a couple of Ute Indians who go and they're out, you know, as the... the Snow is starting to melt. They're out on the path into town. And, like, just outside of town, they find dried human flesh. And they bring this in, and somebody shows it to Packer, and he faints. 
And the things, you know, all of the evidence that something happened that's not really lining up with his story is really piling up. And then you have the guys who were part of the original party, the ones who didn't go on this doomed expedition. And they're like, this guy's a, this guy's a liar. This guy, I, I guarantee you some of what he's saying is a lie. To be fair, like somebody throws a lump of stuff down from me and goes, you know what that is? No, that's dried human flesh. I'd be a little faint myself. I agree. I would too. And here's your parents' heads. Amber Amber would poke it with a stick. Yeah, she would. I totally would. Absolutely. <laughs> lick it. Ew. Um, I don't think I'd I lick it, but I would definitely like touch it. Like <laughs> I would definitely touch it. <laughs> we are very different people. But friends. <laughs> That's what We're makes our friendship work. <laughs> Like, no, it's like for science. You would have to like pick it up and feel the weight and see if it bounces. I want to see the fucking peer-reviewed paper that you write, Amber, <laughs> after you poke the dried flesh with a stick. Right? I was going to say. Science. It, it, it's science if you have a control group of dried human flesh. <laughs> it's not science if you're just poking it with a stick. <laughs> but at That's least curiosity. I know how much an actual pound of flesh is. Beef jerky, oh, for... beef jerky, or Bob Jenkins, a paper by Amber Gaunt. <laughs> Amber just wants to know a pound of flesh for future reference. So <laughs> <laughs> there is a search party, of course, and actually Packer is the one who leads it, which probably explains why they find absolutely nothing. So, with all the questions that have arisen, and the fact that they're not finding these men or their remains. It's time for serious interrogation time. And this is when the first time his story shifts. Get ready, because he's a shifting all over the place. He finally admits, all right, we left town and shit started getting really bad really fast. It was mild when we left, but then we got in the mountains. And oh, what do you know? It's different weather in the mountains. Oh, my God. He, he lived <laughs> in Pennsylvania. He should have known this. Right? I mean, the, the weather, it turned into a whiteout, and they were snowbound, and their food only lasted them about two weeks, probably including their shoes. So in his story, in this iteration, he said, well, Israel Swan, he was the oldest, and he just passed away. Or as he would later put it in court, and I hate this, quote, he was old and in thin flesh. I know. Doesn't it really kind of give your bones a creepy feeling? I want to hear Packer's lawyer going, you shouldn't say that. Look, he was was (laughs) ill. He was elderly. Not he was old and thin flesh. Why are you on trial? You fucking ate people, Al. You ate them. And you're talking, don't use the word flesh in any any context. (laughs) Ever. You don't say flesh. You don't say skin. I want you to shave your goddamn face, sit up straight, and what type of look do we have on our face? No, not fully erect. Penitent. We have penitent looks on our faces, Al. Enjoy being butt-fucked in the prison. Fuck you. Uh, uh, okay, but can, can I say man-pig? No. No man-pig, no long-pig, no... Nothing, pig. You you can't tell them what it tasted like. You didn't eat it, okay? I know you ate it. You know you ate it. You don't have to tell pe- people you ate it. Man meat? Only if it's an Indian guy's name. Roast oh, man witch. 
<laughs> Fuck this. I'm gone. I, I don't need this shit. I'm going to go sell paint at the local hardware store. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, Israel Swan died. And then Packer said, well, we were out of food and we didn't have any other options. So we ate him. And then James Humphrey died. And we were like, well, we're already cannibals. So let's have dinner. And so they ate him. And Packer was like, well, since I'm a cannibal, I may as well just be a thief, too. And he snagged $133 from Humphrey's wallet. That's $3,150 in today's money. Then Frank Miller died and Packer had some questions. But Bell and Noon were like, oh, it was definitely totally an accident. Let's have dinner. And so that happened. And so there were the three of them left, Packer, Bell and Noon. And in Packer's story, at one point, Shannon Bell shot George Noon. And so they ate George Noon. But then Bell tried to kill Packer. So then when Packer killed him, it was in self-defense. And when he ate him, it was out of hunger. I call bullshit on all of this. Yes, I do too. Let me tell you why. Al Packer is your guide. He takes you up in the mountains and you get lost and you all decide on cannibalism. You fucking kill Al first. (laughs) (laughs) Or you just let him stay in the fire and roast himself the next time. Right, right. At any, he has two seizures a day. The opportunity is there twice a day. And this confession no, you shouldn't you shouldn't take advantage of vulnerable people to cannibalize them, Scott. I don't care how hungry you are. Let it be the person who's in thin flesh first. Hey. <laughs> this was a handwritten confession. He signed it, and it still hangs in the Hinsdale County Courthouse. So if you go out to Hinsdale County, Colorado and go to the little courthouse, which is so adorable and old west. It's like a just a, like a little building that almost looks like a house slash church. You don't you'd never guess it was a courthouse. You can see the Alfred Packer confession. Number one, because of this, he is arrested for murder. But in August 1874, he escapes. It seems that someone, they don't say who, but someone gave him a key that was made out of a knife blade. And that's how he got out. And that I would I, I know that old locks were not super unique or reliable, but I would still think that a, just a plain knife would be easier to use to pick a lock than trying to shape a key. I don't, I don't get it, but that's just me. So probably what it was, probably what it was, was a knife with a thin groove just mm. carved into it so that you could, because those, those old locks, all that you essentially need is something vaguely square shaped to spin and push the locking mechanism out of the way. So I could see like somebody filing like a small groove into it you pop that that uh, knife in there, you give it a 360, and it's probably going to unlock a lot of doors. Yeah. So uh, anybody who uses that information to break into old buildings did not get that information here. You just, so just so you know. Uh, thank you, Scott. <laughs> Scott.mort.78 at gmail.com. once again not my email address but it'll make you feel better so go right ahead and write me nasty emails you know what if anybody has those old locks it's their own fault at this point yeah i mean i've got them in my house but not on the fucking front and back door 
Yeah, I'm you want those you areas to be that. secure. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm glad you added the caveat because I was really about to drive to your house just to see if I could break in. You probably could, <laughs> but you're Amber. Uh, so, but I mean, there's like a few bedroom doors, the pocket doors, they have those old skeleton key locks on them. I'm not going to change those around. I'm not trying to keep myself out of rooms. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no reason to, so, so why do it? Right. Um, but so yeah, Packer escaped and it was right about that time. It may have even been on the very same day. That John A. Randolph, who was an illustrator for Harper's Weekly, comes to town because of all of this hullabaloo out in Colorado due to this dude who people are saying ate some other people. So he goes and to try to find the actual scene where this might have happened. And he does. He finds the remains of all five of the other prospectors out in the woods in a spruce tree grove, partially wrapped in blankets. Every last one had skull fractures, so it was presumed that someone had gotten them with a hatchet. These hadn't been exactly natural deaths. There were some broken bones in there as well, and there were some places where it was fairly obvious that someone had done a little bit of amateur butchering because the the fleshy and fatty parts... (laughs) Yes, <laughs> the fleshy and fatty parts were conspicuously missing. And but Randolph. Right... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say right away, it, it throws his first confession out the window because they're not spread out like they were walking on the trail and one man would die and then they'd walk some more. They're all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? that and the, the hatchet marks on the skulls and the the filleting it's not it's not a good look what i honestly believe happened was like alfred kind of overhears them getting angry at him he waits until that night's sleep and he kills them all at once and just keeps the meat in the snowbank i mean it makes sense with them being all together in that area unless he like actually dragged them and there's no real point to that so it, it does make sense Randolph, we, we actually have this scene preserved for all posterity because Randolph sketch it, sketched it. It was pretty gruesome for a, you know an engraving. And this becomes, when it's a cover story in Harper's, a huge public sensation. The whole country is talking about the Colorado cannibal. Well, it's not just um, uh, immortalized in that magazine. You can go there to this day, and they have the bodies, like, arranged. Like, they're fake skeletons now, but they're arranged. You can look into a pit and see them right at the museum. Go figure. To connect this in time to other cases we've covered recently, this news came out in Harper's October 1874, and the public was also waiting to hear the verdict in the Jesse Pomeroy case. So these are the things that were going on. Little boys were killing and doing horrible things to other little boys and grown men were killing and doing horrible things to other grown men. Wow. Yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) Welcome to the history of the world. That's actually why one of my sources was the Harold Schechter book about uh, Jesse Pomeroy because that was the first thing I did was I went back because I remembered a section about the... Alfred Packer case. And I was like, well, there's source number one. 
Because one great thing that Harold Schechter does is put in context these crimes that are happening with other crimes and societal events that are going on at the time. So you can kind of see where society as a whole was, what their what was drawing their attention and what might have been like talked about over the dinner table in the average household. So I think that's that's one of his wonderful things that he does. I'm going to well, interview him someday. Maybe he didn't want to talk about this at the dinner table. That is a good point. No, I disagree. <laughs> this is perfect dinner conversation. Scott, you're never coming to my house for dinner ever again. Do you think intestines, do you think they taste like spaghetti or poop? I mean, there's poop you... going through them. And let's say you eat and eat your own intestines. Does that mean your intestines turn into your own poop? I'm confused. Scott, we can only take this so far before I actually vomit on the air. <laughs> I'll stop. Thank you. And <laughs> listeners, in case you haven't guessed, this is a Scott pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He was waiting for all these opportunities to do some gross-out humor. No, no, no. Honestly, this is just like me, uh, me off the cuff. I like I don't <laughs> sit around going like, yeah, that's oh. that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna joke about today. I just kind of let the jokes happen organically. No, I didn't think that you you did that, but they happen more organically in a story about a guy who ate five other guys than they do in a story about like killing babies. <laughs> I, I mean, does it count? As eating organically, if you're eating people, they're organic. Yeah, that's true. All wow. depends on how they're raised, I suppose. I like how this this organic thing kind of went in a couple different directions. So, uh, Alf- after Alfred Packer escaped, nothing much was heard of him until 1883. So, a little less than a decade has passed. He was found in Wyoming in just the most beautiful coincidence. One of the original 21 from the expedition happened to be in the same saloon where Packer was having a nice drink and chatting up some people and laughing it up, apparently, because this this member of the expedition who was a French peddler, he hears that laugh, and that immediately pings in his brain. He's like, that's Alfred Packer, or more Frenchily. So, that's Alfred Packer. <laughs> there you go. That's it. This episode of Old Timey Crimey is proudly sponsored by Podcorn. We use Podcorn over here at Old Timey Crimey, and you know what? If you're a podcaster, you should too. Podcasters can sign up on Podcorn through the link in our show notes to connect to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. And you know what? It can work in the other direction too. We recently ran our own campaign on Podcorn, sponsored a bunch of other podcasts where they read ads for us. And you know what happened after that? Our numbers went up and they just keep getting better and better. So podcasters and advertisers, check out the link in our show notes and start browsing sponsorship opportunities right now at Podcorn. This French peddler goes and lets the police know, hey, fugitive right in town. And it turns out that Packer had been doing some prospecting. He'd been doing a little work on some ranches. And he was known around town as John Schwartz. No, not John Schwartz. Juan Schwartz. It's J-U-A-N. He chose a Mexican first name and a Jewish last name. Juan Schwartz. 
Maybe it got like mistranslated in, in press and that's why I saw it as John. Or maybe my brain automatically translated it as John because I saw the Jewish last name and didn't think that it could possibly be Juan. No, it's cool. You it, know what? I bet he had a tattoo spelled wrong. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Here's the reason I know funny. this. Trey Parker, whenever he wrote and starred as Al Packer in Cannibal the Musical, he didn't put his name on the movie. He put like written by Trey Parker, but starring Juan Schwartz. I mean, the Juan could have also been a could have been a joke on his part. No, no, no. It was he used that because that was the name that uh, that he that Al Packer used, Juan Schwartz. This is really driving me nuts because I saw it as John Schwartz in so many other places. And it's it's like a couple weeks ago when we wouldn't allow you to Google a case that you couldn't think of the name of. I am staying off of the newspaper archives. I will not look this up. We will just agree that it could have been one, the other, or both, or a tattoo could have been involved. Are you saying it could be Juan or the other? <laughs> it could oh, be Juan God. Or the other. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't even low hanging fruit. That fruit was rotting on the ground. I know. I'm going to use it as fertilizer. <laughs> For other jokes. So, I also had John, if it makes you feel any better. Thank you, Amber. Back to Colorado, Packer goes, where it's time when he stops off in Denver for confession number two. This is the one where he says, okay, we were all desperate for food, but Bell especially had been acting a little bit off. He just didn't seem to be acting quite right in the head. So we were in the woods. We saw a game trail. So I decided to go out and see if I could find what you find on game trails sometimes because they're made by game. So, you know, deer, various animals, you, they make their own trails through the woods and eventually enough of them go over it that sometimes they're indistinguishable from the regular trail. And that's how people get lost in a forest for four hours. It happened to me just once, just once. Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. It's really so, hard to stay on a trail made exclusively by like squirrels. Well, the thing is, is this was a forest. Well, they're not just made exclusively by squirrels. There's also <laughs> deer and such. But the thing is, is that sometimes, especially if they're in an area with a lot of human traffic, more people will be just like me and will think, hey, let me explore that slightly less, you know, well-packed path. And yeah, so. Anyhow, <laughs> he says, I took the gun to go possibly hunting on this game trail. And by the time I got back... There was Bell sitting there chowing down on Miller's leg and everybody else around him was dead. And at this point, Bell tries to kill Packer too. And Packer says he has to kill him in self-defense. Bell has the hatchet, but Packer has the gun. And his later testimony, he would say, quote, I ran back down the bluff, but I fell. And while down, I shot him through the side as he approached me. He fell and the hatchet dropped by me. I snatched it up and threw it at him and struck him in the head. End quote. Movies don't exist. And yet this feels like he's trying to make it cinematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The very first action sequence. Then he spends, uh, according to him, the next two months uh, surviving on the other men's flesh until he could actually make it out. And when he gave this, or when he tried to 
have this search party looking, he led them around and away from the actual scene because he couldn't go bear to go back there. Not certainly because he didn't want to end up in prison. And so they're like, okay, well, why all the discrepancies? What's with all the shit that is different in your first confession? And he said, quote, I was excited and I wanted to say something. And the story, as I told it, came first to my mind. So he's like, well, this just popped into my head instead of actual reality because I was excited. Uh, I was excited. Everybody else was dead. And then on the horizon, I saw a bright light. And these four little green guys that were three feet tall took me aboard their ship and gave me food. And that's why I look so good. The trial is held at the Hinsdale County Courthouse in April 1883. Two, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. Scott and, and Amber and I had a whole thing earlier with, you know, Packers lawyers talking to him. <laughs> and the thing is, it wouldn't have gone that way because at least according to his lawyers who took this case pro bono, they thought he was innocent. So, I don't, I don't think that. anybody actually thought that. Mm, no. <laughs> Maybe they thought that it was kind of a, okay, so he's not necessarily innocent, but what we see a, bit, a little bit later was some people saying you can't blame him. Or that, you know... Maybe it didn't happen in such a murderous way. So at least they 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 seemed to buy his story. They didn't. I don't think anybody really thought that he had somehow managed to survive in the the mountains for two months on his own uh, with with limited abilities for survival and provisions kind of completely run out without resorting to cannibalism. I think everybody believed the cannibal part, but it was how did the bodies get dead enough for him to eat that was the big question that divided people. I like that there the. The dead enough implies that there's I some. I enjoyed that as well. Yeah, there's somewhere <laughs> between dead and too dead, where it's just dead enough. Well, you know, there's mostly dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, who who'd have thought I'd get a Princess Bride reference in a story about a cannibal? <laughs> it's a miracle, I swear. What happens in court is. He tells his story on the stand, but it's kind of, it, it is hard to follow. He talks really fast. He's super loud and he won't let anyone get a word in edgewise or ask him any questions or anything until he's done. So it's not really, you know, a, a, an examination, you know, direct or cross. It's just him blurting everything out and having some word vomit. And he does admit in this speech to eating the uh, the people meat. Although he says at first he tried to, he did try to resist, but the, he just got so hungry that he couldn't help himself. Quote, and right there was my last feeling. I gave up to it. I ate that meat and it has hurt me for nine years. I was perfectly happy and can't tell how long I remained there. End quote. There's some conflicting emotions in that, in that paragraph. Yeah. It's it's one thing from it's hurt me for nine years, but then also being perfectly happy there. Uh, that is strange. Maybe, again, with words having different connotations, maybe happy just meant settled. You know, he was he was able to, to stay there and survive. He did, he, you know, and, and so that made him happy. But that coming right after him talking about eating the meat is is unsettling. 
the verdict comes down on Friday, the, the 13th, April, 1833, just four days short of the nine-year anniversary of his return to civilization. He is found guilty specifically for the murder of Israel Swan. There, the big evidence here, aside from you know stuff that that he might may or may not have said, was hand-to-hand combat. It was it was clear that you know Swan had some defensive wounds, and and so there were. Or my brain always messes up defensive wounds. Defensive wounds are on the attacker, though, right? Defensive. No, they're wo- on the victim. Yeah, um, they're on the victim. Like when you put your hands up to fight them off, like on your forearms and shit, you'll have defensive wounds. Thank you. Okay. All right. So I was actually kind of right. Yes. Uh, Israel Swan does have defensive wounds. There were there were signs that there had been a, a, a struggle, and the thing is, so he's found guilty of, like I said, uh, murder. But he's not found guilty of cannibalism. He's not charged with cannibalism because you can't technically charge for cannibalism specifically. It's not illegal at the federal level. But the fact is that there are a whole bunch of things that you need to do in order to reach the point where you can cannibalize someone. Those are the things that are illegal. The, the murder, obviously, is, is likely to be a factor, but if not the murder, if somebody dies naturally and you try to cannibalize them, there is also the desecration of a corpse and all those related charges. So, well, I, I but, think that's important. Uh, hear me out on this. I think it's important that cannibalism remain legal for the simple fact of there are certain situations. If you go down in a plane and you're on a mountaintop and you're stuck there for 60 days and there's a perfectly good dead body beside you. I'm sorry. So alive is the yeah, reason. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Alive <laughs> is the reason. Alive, that, um, yeah, yeah. Quite honestly, alive is the reason. It's it's complete survival. You can't fault anybody for that. Well, I was just gonna say I do a- agree that in those very very rare cases, and you definitely have to be able to super justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's. I do agree, and and I also kind of agree with the, the fact that there doesn't need to be a law against cannibalism because you do have all those other laws like desecration of a corpse and you know murder if that's what happens to get the person to be a corpse. So you you have these in place so that there's not really any need for an actual cannibalism law. What were you going to say, Amber? I was going to actually ask you if you saw some of the newspapers from this. I mean, yeah, I saw some of them, but what in particular? Oh, some of the uh, the amazing uh, culinary headlines. Oh. Because um, they described Packer as the man-eating murderer with his villainous and ugly face. <laughs> and Look at him, he's had, stupid. Right? Headlines like human jerked beef. I like that. Human jerked beef. <laughs> I feel like this They're... is a great time to introduce one of our new sponsors, Fitzky's Beef Products. <laughs> you know, you and I have seen the news, and we both know that the apocalypse is just around the corner. Pretty soon, probably within the month, you're going to be hiding in a cave. Your wife, your children have been kidnapped and possibly murdered by the road warrior. What do you do? Maybe maybe you would need a little bit more energy to just keep going on. Maybe you want one last bite of protein. Right before you commit suicide, Fitzky's horse jerky is fantastic. It comes in teriyaki, uh, spicy chipotle, 
and 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 peppered, and it's made from the ass end of real Kentucky Derby losers. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Oh my goodness. I feel that we should specify that it's not an actual sponsor. It's satire. Because sometimes you can't tell the difference. <laughs> and Scott just makes shit up as he goes. <laughs> that is also a thing that happens. Uh, back to the whole... Uh, never thought I would say this so much, but back to the whole cannibalism thing. Could we please uh, get back on track to cannibalism? Exactly. There was uh, an article on Find Law that discusses the lack of legal restrictions against specifically cannibalism. And they said in that article that you can probably manage even now today to buy some body parts. You just need to make sure you're buying them for education or research because there are regulations on that, but they're not super tight. I mean, you're still going to be risking it a little bit, but not as heavily as if you say, go into somebody's house and chop them up and cook them. That is completely and 100% true. There, there have been several recent lawsuits because people were donating like their loved ones bodies after, after they die, donating them to science. And what they've been doing is like putting them in a freezer and just selling them to who fucking ever. For example, one person's grandmother got strapped to a chair at a military base and exploded. Oh my god. Are you, see Okay, so that We're is actually dying. a thing that happened? Yes, that really happened, Christy. Wow. That really okay. happened. There was there was like uh, one factory where where like these people were driving by and the smell coming from the factory that day was really bad and they're driving by and this this guy's got a hose and he's hosing something down in front of it. And it turns out it's a torso, a human torso, and he's just hosing it down because he needs to thaw it out quick because somebody just bought it. Oh my gosh. And yeah, it's you can make you can make a little bit of cash here. Uh, in according to that article on Fine Law in 2018 in Colorado, you could get an elbow for two hundred dollars. Uh if you want to go if you're feeling a little expansive, you want to be a little more spendy, you get an arm plus a shoulder for $600. So um, uh, I just, with the help of Fine Law, told people how they can be cannibals. I'm, I don't like myself. I'm looking this up right now. <laughs> Human body parts for sale. Of you course know, you are. We were actually discussing this in the group chat. The other day. Yes, we were. I brought it up because I was like, I'm going to give them an alternative to me being cannibalized. Because Beast was like, why do you keep on bringing up being cannibalized? And I'm like, okay, first of all, wasn't my idea in the, in the first place. Second of all, doing this story wasn't my idea in the first place. But I'm doing research. Happened to find an alternative to eating me. So here you go. Well, <laughs> do no, that uh, instead. Not in, in that group chat. The one that you're not in because it's too graphic. Oh, you mean the, the chat that around my house we're calling uh, the chat that everybody but Christy is in? Well, there's other people that aren't in it. Um, but I, I actually had shared an article I found about people that were donating bodies to science. And it was going to this place where they were basically making morbid jokes out of the bodies donated for science, where they'd take the head off of a lady and sew it onto a big man body and then hang it up on the wall. Um, my God. But they had a price list for the body parts. 
So um, a whole body with no shoulders or head, $2,900. A torso with a head, $2,400. A whole spine, $950. One whole leg is $1,100. A foot is $450. A knee, $375. And a pelvis, $400. I've got a list here. Full body, five grand. There you go. I'm sure prices vary, but I'm so glad we had uh, ratatouille for dinner because that's vegetarian. So, <laughs> which I might be for the rest of my life now, thanks to this. <laughs> Anyhow, so Judge Melville Gary sentenced Packer to hang the month after the trial. There's a legend about something that the judge supposedly says. It's like 99.9% .9 not true, but supposedly the judge said, Packer, there were only seven Democrats in all of Hinsdale County, and you ate five of them, you son of a bitch. That sounds Which, like something from today. No. No, you know what? I actually have a different version of that. So the judge actually had this, this really long, eloquent statement, and he said, close up your ears to the blandishments of hope. Listen not to its flattering promises of life, but prepare for the dread certainty of death. And then a saloon keeper, Larry Dolan, who was in the gallery, ran back to his bar and then came up with that cheeky statement making fun of the judge. He's the one that said there were seven Democrats in Hinsdale County, but you, you voracious man-eating son of a bitch, you ate five of them. There we go. I figured it had to be something like that, especially figured that it definitely originated in a saloon. <laughs> So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because especially since it would be really silly for a judge, a, a learned man, to say, you ate half, you know, five out of seven of the Democrats in this county. They were from Provo, Utah. Why would they be voting in your county? Yeah. So, no, the judge actually had a very professional, very, like, eloquent speech. And the bar owner is like, this is fucking funny, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have I have some more of that speech because it gets kind of ironic um, as much as a learned man as this, this judge was, he could not see the future. And what he said was that Packer had, quote, sowed the wind, and you now must reap the whirlwind. You will hang by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. While society cannot forgive, it will forget. As the days come and go, and the years of our pilgrimage roll by, the memory of you and your crimes will fade from the minds of men, end quote. And I have some bad news for that judge. It did not. It did not, in fact, fade, which is why we're here tonight, <laughs> making my stomach slightly uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I'm really glad thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking yesterday because uh, just to explain, I wasn't feeling well last night and we were supposed to record. So we, we rescheduled for tonight. I wasn't even thinking of the content of the episode. I was just thinking I feel like shit. And so, yeah, the content of this episode would have made me so much worse <laughs> last night. So I'm so glad we did this tonight instead. <laughs> so, and last night I had a nice bath. So now this was actually the first death sentence in the county. So they have to build a gallows. They do that. They have to do whatever you, what you always do when you're having a big gathering. You got to send out those invites, literally invitations you can go and see one at the hinsdale county courthouse inviting people to an execution 
then, okay, so there's a lot of confusion here, a lot of conflicting reports of what happened and why. One big thing that probably was a big part of it, although it may or may not have been the main reason, was that there were conflicts between territorial laws and then when the territory became a state in the time between when Packer did his thing and when he was tried, and also the fact that there was some tribal territory involved, all of these different laws of the different lands that were actually many of the same lands came into conflict, and they ended up canceling the execution and even rescinding the murder charge. That stunned me whenever I read that. I know, right? It's just, it's it's shocking that, like, I, I can only imagine being alive at that point in time and having that happen, especially when they've I've already got my invitation. I'm packing my picnic lunch. You know, I, I'm going to make a nice day of it. I've got my pretty parasol. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a, an event. And then they and then they don't hang him. Yeah, I have so. front row tickets. I was close enough to hear the next snap. <laughs> yeah. So there is a second trial in 1886. This one happens in, I'm going to do this, Funnison County. Ha, ha, ha. You guys can leave if you don't like it. And actually, (laughs) we named it that jokingly, just so you know. (laughs) Anyhow, he takes the stand again and makes a statement that lasts two and a half hours can you imagine listening to a guy ramble on about eating people for two and a half hours oh yeah i can that that's kind of almost this podcast today yeah Yeah, i was gonna say that's what we're doing right now (laughs) yep yep i have that much self-awareness so this was from the hayes free press sort of a summary of what he said um so sums it up He and his five companions wandered aimlessly through the mountains without food, raving mad with hunger, eating their moccasins, willow buds, rosebuds, and finally devouring each other. Then, after the death of the remainder of the party, the cold, unfeeling account of how he took flesh from the legs of his companions, boiled it in tin cups and ate it, has never been equaled in the history of jurisprudence in America. Ah, nah. There's been a lot of stuff that went on that's worse than this. Well, maybe not at that point and not to the knowledge of that particular writer. It was the Hayes Free Press, yeah, not the New York Times. Yeah. So he does get convicted for um, manslaughter and manslaughter and manslaughter and manslaughter and manslaughter. So he gets five manslaughter convictions and he gets eight years apiece. So that's 40 years total because they're they're stacked consecutively. And so he gets sent to prison and this actually does stick for a while. And he was a really, he ended up being a model prison. He prisoner. I, I, I feel like this is also in a creepy way, but for some of these things, they, they looked at it then like it was wholesome. He liked to garden. Uh, he would uh, take horsehair and make watch fobs out of it, which I would always wonder, are we, are we sure this is horsehair? Are we positive? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Sold- Alfred Packer is such a good gardener that people come to this prison who are the relatives of the men he ate who ask them who ask him for advice on how to grow squash. It's the truth. He'll tell you a lot about fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So. 
so he made those watch fobs. He would also uh, send things made out of horsehair to uh, to friends. He built doll houses, which is yeah, it's wholesome but also creepy. For yeah, I just I I can't get on board with it. Not one hundred percent. But he would make money through these endeavors, and he did use that to help parolees who, when they were released, were short on funds. He helped them get clothes and pay rent. And the warden uh, actually said he was the soul of generosity and cared nothing for money. So that's pretty well, nice. Did you guys hear about his cellmate? Go ahead. So um, Packer once was given a drunk minor as a cellmate, right? The minor is like, Packer the man-eater is in that cell, and I'm damned if I'm going to stay here. Packer goes... Dry up out there, goddamn you, or I'll chew you up. <laughs> and the drunk guy didn't say another word. It was fine. Like, Packer was trying to joke with him, saying, like, you just need to dry up, or you're going to keep coming back to my cell. <laughs> but he definitely, those that phrasing definitely makes it sound more threatening. So, all right. Then along comes Polly Pry. I love Polly Pry. She was a journalist for the Denver Post, and she ended up corresponding some with Packer. And this is going to feel like a sidetrack into the life of Polly Pry, but I feel like it's important because she was a major factor in Packer's life. And also there's some true crime aspects of her life. So she was actually born Lionel Ross Campbell, and at the age of 15, she eloped with the president of the Mexican Central Railroad, who was 48. Hmm. Icky. Icky, indeed. But after about two years or so, she got kind of bored of that, and so she ran away from Mexico to New York City, where she got a job through both connections and persistence with the New York world as a journalist. And she was nicknamed Polly Pry by her fellow reporters because she was really good at, guess what, prying information out of sources. And so she was like, this needs to be more than a nickname. This needs to be my pen name. And so she took it and she was Polly Pry for the rest of her life. By the late 1800s, early 1900s, she had gone to work for the Denver Post and she did a story on the prison system in Colorado. That's how she met Alfred Packer. The thing was, Packer was not really Gabby with reporters. He would not talk to them at all. But when she came along, he talked. In interviews with her, he insisted he had never murdered anyone. And so she really started pleading her case in her writing as much as she could. She saw all the vitriol against him as just basically it's all being sensationalized. And it's the sentence is because of that sensationalism. And he's a veteran who is just doing what any of us would do in a desperate situation. If we let sailors go cannibal while stranded and then don't punish them when they come back to civilization, he shouldn't have been punished. And that was her rationale. She is a pretty powerful person to have in your corner. She got the owners of the Denver Post... Uh, their names were Frederick Bonfils and H.H. H. Tammen to 
hook Packer up with a lawyer. And this lawyer's name. What a great lawyer. <laughs> yes, what a great lawyer. First of all, from his name, no one should trust him. His name was W.W. Plug Hat Anderson. Jesus. <laughs> it's, right, it's right there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The great thing about Plug Hat was, like all lawyers, he could not be trusted. <laughs> and and he double dipped. He he had been he paid twice for it, and they like Tamman and and uh, Polly Pry. They they confront him. They confront him and, and demand that he returns like the money because he's been paid twice. And return it. I think it's important to specify return the money that Packer had paid them. Yeah. They weren't asking for their money, Mac back they were just asking for them to return it to packer right so during this attorney i'm going to i'm going to really emphasize this word attorney ww plug hat anderson pulled a goddamn gun and shot both of the men and he was getting yeah. ready to shoot again and Polly jumps in front of hh tamman tries to shield him anderson looks at her and goes i'll fucking shoot you if you don't move but she stalls him long enough for the police to arrive to arrest the attorney and then uses her skirt to stop the bleeding. I especially liked how she stalled him. She was, he was, he's like, I'm going to shoot you if you don't move. And she's like, oh, yeah, murdering Colorado's favorite writer will definitely not send you to the gallows. Right. Okay. And so she basically like found a good argument to give him pause and also managed to to put the power in her hands, even while he was holding a gun. And now the thing about the, the whole post thing is there, it wasn't entirely an act of charity to get a lawyer to help out Packer. The, all these articles Polly Pry was writing, they were drawing in enormous readership. So they, they're seeing the, the readership numbers climb and they figure if there is, you know, an, an actual if we can draw this out to the point where there's an actual another trial boy will we ever sell some serious papers so yeah it wasn't totally uh charity and magnanimous on their part they were actually neither of them died from their their wounds uh Blonfils was seriously wounded timmins was winged and there are other stories that she wrestled the gun from anderson or she caught the bullets in her hoop skirt but they're they're really probably not true and so, yeah, Tammons and Phils, Mont Phils, they, they live to fire her later. Um, <laughs> what gratitude. She had written some articles on corruption in labor unions, and they were big supporters of workers' rights. And people were threatening to also boycott the paper because of these articles. So they fired her. This was not her first or not her only interaction with somebody uh, wielding a gun. Uh, she later would piss someone off in her writing. So that person tracked her to her house, came to her door and tried to shoot her, but she managed to get away. So this, this woman had quite the exciting life from 15 when she got bored after marrying the president of the Mexican Central Railroad, which, yeah, he was, he was a little bit, just a few years older than her. So that might, those lifestyles might not match up to, you know, when she's dodging bullets left and right. <laughs> I love it. Badass. So, so badass. She's so badass, yes. Uh, back to Packer. In addition to Polly Pry, he had other people in his corner writing letters to the governor of Colorado, as well as the penitentiary chaplain. 
And in 1901, he ends up getting paroled. He had served 18 of his 40-year sentence. He's not pardoned. So he is, under the terms of his parole, he does have to stay in Colorado for the rest of his life. And he does some, he, he's, he's out. He does some odd jobs. I think it's funny that he worked as a security guard for the Denver Post. And I have to wonder, uh, was that before or after the lawyer plug hat tried to shoot the owners? <laughs> Maybe it was like perfect timing that he got out just as the, the, the shooting happened. And they were like, you know what? We need to beef up security. Beef. Packer. Let's get Packer. Be weird if he worked there longer than Polly did. I don't think he did, but uh, it would be strange. Yes, that would be that would be funny. He ended up spending his last years in Littleton, Colorado. There are tales of how he loved to tell the kids stories of the old West, and he would give them a piece of candy. He also changed his diet, so he, like I am going to be soon, was vegetarian, which is one of the funnier things <laughs> i just i it feels going vegetarian feels like a guilty plea <laughs> you know what though he actually has a plaque at his grave site saying that he's a vegetarian as well i wonder if that was his idea or someone else's <laughs> so he during this time he did get a 25 dollars a month pension from the government for his war service in his 60s, he passed away. Uh, they said the cause of death was, quote, dementia, trouble, and worry. It's also theorized that there was possibly a stroke was the actual cause. That was 1907. I and the wonder government if it actually might have been Critzfield Jakob's disease. I mean, we'll never know, but it's entirely possible. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good theory. Yeah, because, I mean, you're talking dementia. Uh, I would love to know if his hand shook. Or because, I mean, if his hands were shaking, that would mimic, that would be a symptom of Critzfield Jakobs. But then, oh, no, this is the epilepsy getting worse as I get older. You know, hard to tell. But that's true, because I think um, I think I'm not entirely sure. I think some people with epilepsy can also be more likely to suffer from different types of tremors. Yeah. And other other what they what they literally call spastic disorders. I didn't make that up. I don't think um, so. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it, it really like I said, it would be impossible to tell because especially with that epilepsy, that could come in there and and mask a lot of symptoms of what could be Crisfield Jakob's disease. Do you want to real quick for any of our listeners who don't know, give like a like a one sentence explanation of Crisfield Jakob's? Crisfield Jakob's disease is a disease that really really looks like Parkinson's. Uh, it's a prion disease, and the only way that you can get it is from eating another human being. Prion diseases are on my, my list of top 10 terrors. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the government actually also, when Packer died, paid for his funeral and his tombstone, probably again because of the veteran status. We'll pay the for it as long as we put the word vegetarian on there. <laughs> yes, I like to think that was actually in the paperwork. The tombstone was stolen, the original one. It had to be replaced, and even that one, uh, still one corner, is messed up. And then also in 1973, they covered the grave in cement so that no one could steal the remains or try to take souvenirs. And so now people on this long cement slab that covers Packer's body, 
We'll leave buttons and coins and pine cones and painted rocks and, of course, animal bones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. And yet, Ripley's Believe It or Not insists that they got Packer's head for the low, low price of $20,000, but they don't really have any paperwork or they won't show the paperwork to back the, the provenance of it up. And the, the idea is that the head might have ended up in a traveling sideshow for a while before getting to Ripley's, which one could, I think, fairly successfully call a stationary sideshow. Unless it gets up and moves, and then it's a traveling sideshow. <laughs> I mean, we still got sideshows. We just sometimes call them museums. I love a good sideshow. God, I miss that part of I, Americana. I love a good museum. So. <laughs> mm. I love both. We, <laughs> it's funny because on our screen, there's Scott and there's me, and then in between us is Amber, and she, she also manages to ride that line between us all the time. <laughs> I just because yeah, like I will literally stop at a sideshow on the way to the museum. Like I love like the history aspect of, of museums, especially if it's gory, like the Muter Museum in Philadelphia. I've been to like 10 times. But I love sideshows. They're amazing. Sideshows are fantastic. It's this little peak of Americana. This is just like I didn't shave my bush this week. For you, you know, America, and just whip it off and like, oh, that's disgusting. That's great. Here's a quarter. So, like, one time we're, we're on a drive and we see this, this billboard and it says, Mr. Ed's Elephant Museum and Candy Store. More fun than a puppy. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck yes. Like, I need to go. And you know what? It might have been more fun than a puppy. I would have enjoyed a puppy as well. But the candy was awesome. And there were elephants everywhere. It was amazing. Amber, do you know of the website Roadside America? Yes. Yes, I do. I've stopped at some of those things. Oh, me too. (laughs) Me too. For those that don't know, uh, there is this wonderful website, Roadside America, and it'll essentially, you tell it where you're at, and it'll go, here's all the really fucking weird stuff that, that you can go to and just gasp at. Um, and some of Packer's stuff is on Roadside America. Right? This, uh, this, is, this is right here, the Alfred Packer Cannibal Massacre site in Lake City, Colorado. It's, uh, I, I believe that's known as Cannibal Plateau, if I'm not. Cannibal is, Plateau. Is that what? I think Cannibal Plateau is a little bit different. I'm not certain, though. Uh, well, I have... I have the Cannibal Plateau in Hinsdale County, and it's that is supposed to be just a few kilometers from the location where Packer ate his compatriots. This uh, this is the beauty of Roadside America. I'm going to read a sentence to you off of the Alfred Packer Cannibal Memorial site. Quote, the site looks much as it did on August 1st, 1928, when the Ladies' Union Aid Society installed post, a protective railing, and a plaque on a rock to honor the dead, and then held a fish fry next to the mass grave. Love it. Love it. Um, So Cannibal Plateau, I did find it on Google Maps, and it's funny because it's just listed as a mountain peak. Uh, Google has uh, one person who reviewed it, and it's a two-star review, and the content of the review is... 
Hmm. That's it. Just hmm. well, no punctuation. Just that. And this person has two reviews. I have to see what the other one is. Come Hopefully on, the other one me. is for Dead Man's Gulch, which is the other thing named after this uh, failed exp- expedition. Oh, they won't. Gulch. They won't show me any other of their reviews. I'm very disappointed in that. I wanted okay. to see their, their other review. That's, that's sad. So, so, yeah, there is Cannibal Plateau. And... Uh, I should mention that the graves of these victims were actually in 1989. They were exhumed. Uh, the the victims were exhumed. They were their remains were studied, and yes, there it was determined these were violent deaths. There were defensive wounds, like I mentioned. There were marks, quote marks consistent with defleshing, end quote. Some scrapes uh, on the bones uh, that are considered signs of cannibalism, like somebody filleted this meat right off and so yeah that it was pretty much verified although you know just the fact that alfred packer was still alive i feel like was kind of proof enough so yes there are the locations scott and amber mentioned there's also a couple other things i did find uh and i think this might still be continuing but i found an article from 1974 about uh lake city colorado where they have the alfred packer festival for the hundredth anniversary and they were planning to start an alfred packer feasting society the proposed motto which i guess actually might have also been the motto of a nearby college grill was have a friend for dinner god damn it love it love it they have a we're planning a barbecue and they plan to continue the tradition they also uh, there was also an Alfred Packer cookbook published, and like I said, there's the Alfred Packer Grill at the University of Colorado Boulder, which is where, as Scott mentioned, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, right? Matt Stone, you got it. Thank you. Where where they uh, got the inspiration to write Cannibal the Musical, currently at a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Way too also used- few tomatoes. Way too few tomatoes. <laughs> that deserves this- a 100%. That movie is a fucking classic. I still catch myself driving down the road singing songs from Cannibal the Musical, and I haven't seen it in over 10 years. The sky is blue and all the leaves are green. The sun is like a baked potato. I think you know exactly what I mean when I say it's such blood-doinkle day. Okay, then. (laughs) The school also used to have an Alfred Packer day when there would be musical performances a raw meat chug- tossing contest, a beer chugging relay, horror movie screening, and also an Alfred Packer lookalike contest. <laughs> and finally, my last thing was uh, the lines from folk singer, I'm going to get this name wrong, Phil Ox? Phil Oaks? Nobody? Okay. No, I, I um, don't know. I thought somebody would know. Uh, Ballad of Alfred Packer. This is, uh, these are some of the lines. Their guide was Alfred Packer and they trusted him too long for his character was weak and his appetite was strong. They called him a murderer, a cannibal, a thief. It just doesn't pay to eat anything but government inspected beef. Oh, And no. there is a Love performance. <laughs> 
there's a performance of that on YouTube that we'll have to put in the in the social media because it's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, that's all my Alfred Packer stuff. You guys? Uh, there were two movies uh, made about Alfred Packer. There's a very, very serious one uh, called The Legend of Alfred Packer that is it's a pretty good Western. It's kind of like a, a Western adventure thriller film. And, I mean, it was, it was okay, but it was highly fictional. So I think it's hilarious that of the two movies made about Alfred Packer, the comedy musical is the more accurate of the two. I think I think my favorite thing that came out of all this is the Republicans of the area in the 1930s founded the Packer Club of Colorado, which is a playful nod to the eating of the five Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely. <sighs> so that is Alfred Packer. If you enjoyed that, uh, like I said, we have our patreon where you can get much more content and we also have if you're not into the pa patreon idea you can also just give us a one-time contribution at paypal using our email address oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com you can also for free 100 free go over to itunes and leave us a review you can tell a friend that's another thing that's free unless your friends charge you to talk to them and if that's the case get better friends and just tell them, you you like this, they'll probably like it. If you like the same things, we'll be one of those things. Don't forget about our merch over at oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com. If you're going for the first time, there's a couple items that are marked like not safe for whatever. Just click it once and you'll be good to go. I was just following rules. Uh, whatever. And uh, don't forget about other podcasts. Detectives by the Decade is where I delve into forensic history. And I, uh, over with Chris Garcia, BFF of the podcast at Short Story Short Podcast, we talk about short stories pretty relatively quickly. We don't, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So, yeah, what are you guys doing this week? week? It's Monday. I don't know what time or day it is anymore. Trying to survive the vicious cold of Pennsylvania. Right. My Christy, right. you're looking tasty. <laughs> I'm going to lock my doors and they're modern locks and I have cameras, I feel I should tell you. <laughs> I'm going to roast some meats. <laughs> uh, sweet Jesus. I am going to look over my shoulder like a lot. <laughs> like my head's going to get stuck there. It's it's going to be bad. I'm going to be like one of those owls that can go like 180, 360, whatever. Well, they can so, do 180 as many times as they want, but they can only do 360 one time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that is it for us this week. Uh, thank you for listening to our filthy words, mostly Scots, yeah. and we, we will see you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye. My sources this week are Harold Schechter's book, Fiend, the shocking true story of America's youngest serial killer. No, I didn't travel back in time to a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Denver Public Library, Dick Kreck on Denver Post, Sandy Dexter from the Museum of Colorado Prisons, Stephanie Butzer on the Denver Channel. That was a really, really good article. So uh, link is in the show notes. Richard Dahl on Fine Law, and the Lewisburg Chronicle, Greeley Daily Tribune, and Hayes Free Press via newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia. My sources for this week are murderpedia.org, wikipedia.org, coloradovirtuallibrary.org, 
and roadsideamerica.com. My sources this week are littletongov.org, coloradovirtuallibrary.org, flagshippublishing.com by Matt Masich. And Christy, you had some names there. Yeah, right, Dick Crick, <laughs> Stephanie Butzer, Dick Doll. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.